0: Hey everyone, just a reminder that we are recording remotely while we're quarantined. Uh, So the sound might be slightly compromised, but hopefully not too bad. Enjoy.
1: Welcome to Feminist Without Mystique, a podcast where we process politics, sex, and the unrelenting fire hose of bullshit in the news through an unapologetically feminist lens. Each week, we'll begin by venting about the news, go deep on one important issue, call out terrible things happening below the top headlines in the segment called we see you, and then we'll end with something helpful. Yeah. Oh, wow. Welcome, everybody. <laughs> A reminder, if you're enjoying us, to uh, like, follow, subscribe, rate, review. You know, go on our Instagram, like our photos, go on Twitter. Like what we're saying, <laughs> live it up, have fun, recommend us. We live for it. We do. We do. It is fun. It's it fun. Is, it is fun. Yeah. Uh, yeah. And this uh, this episode, we'll be talking about a, uh, a wonderful book called Hood Feminism by Mickey Kendall. But first, I just want to quickly say that Ted Cruz is a... <laughs> <laughs> Shit! <laughs> um, as I think we all, as I think we all know, he traveled to Cancun as Texas was facing. <laughs> And I would say unprecedented yeah. <laughs> situation. Left his dog behind. Allegedly, now he says there was a dog sitter, but I just saw photos of the dog named Snowball. Named? Oh, I thought it was named Snowflake. Oh, maybe Snowflake. Oh, oh. my God! Fake news. Fake news. Google. <laughs> Ted Cruz dog <laughs> name. Um, You may be a Snowflake. You're right. You're right. Oh, Which is just, just crazy. Liberal
0: snowflake named
1: Liberal snow. snowflake left behind the snow. <laughs> and he like tried to blame his daughters on it and all yeah. this shit. And his like family group thread neighbor friends like totally sold Laked him out. It yeah, because they're like, hey, we're gonna go to Cancun if anyone wants to come, like, mmm, who needs something, you know. Uh yeah, hot take. And he's also criticized people in the past when the states that they represent are in crisis for leaving mm-hmm. so it's especially um fucked up <laughs> that he went off and then he came back with this little texas face mask like what <laughs> I was here the whole time um and then he comes back and he gives out water bottles for a photo op when he's supposed to be quarantining <laughs> <laughs> it's uh unbelievable that man that man well if they'll they'll like me if i give out resources honey no no you just came (laughs) from another country stay inside for 14 days please and thank you yeah i also really appreciated that
0: it was like his so the group text of his friends like someone leaked it that's great and then the police in you know where he was in Houston were basically like, no, he also requested detail for us to escort him to the airport for this Cancun trip. And somehow the airline also leaked. like, yeah, and he just rebooked his trip like this morning, it was originally gonna fly back on Sunday. So it was just like everyone was like, "Fuck you."
1: <laughs> yeah, he was very clearly lying about it. like it's I mean, they're never going to be a fan of Ted Cruise's unless he like undergoes complete personality change. but like, yeah. you could like if he was just like, you know what, uh, that was really fucked up of me. I, <laughs> I was just looking at my family and thinking it'd be really nice to get out of here. We could get out of here and it's like, well, oh, but like, like, just like honesty, but he doesn't yeah. do that. Um, it's just this like hiding and this covering up and this like blatant lying that just makes it a million times worse. And the trying to give out supplies while you're supposed to be in quarantine, like yes, hand things to people as you may be, you know, um, positive for COVID. Right. I, it's, yeah, it's
0: really insane. I mean, he's awful. Meanwhile, you know, AOC has raised raised on her own 4.3, I think, million dollars at this point. She was on the ground trying to help and working with different state legislature legislators um, in Texas to help. And Beto, who I don't think at this point has any elected office was also I think he's
1: just better he's just better
0: <laughs> he was also helping and uh raising money and and neither of them i noticed dunked on ted cruz specifically um in this moment uh or at least they didn't on their twitter accounts which is where i get all of my information about these things <laughs> um but i would have seen it <laughs> it would have been it seen. would have happened on my twitter radar but yeah uh Ted Cruz, what an idiot! What, I mean, the poor judgment. It's just everything that we loathe about Ted Cruz, just all in a nutshell. He's
1: bad. I think wasn't it Lindsey Graham who said years ago that if Ted Cruz were murdered on the Senate floor, <laughs> no one would vote to convict whoever murdered Ted Cruz. He's so unliked. I think it was Lindsey Graham. God, remember? Yeah, which he is also like, like oh, Lindsey. <laughs> remember, hold my words against me if. Oh. Boop, boop, boop. he did all the things um and we did so. and nothing happened he got reelected so you know <laughs> <laughs> America whatever man it's gonna be fun <laughs> <Maybe. laughs> uh, yeah you know
0: it's yeah it's definitely. It'll be, it'll be interesting to see what happens with Texas and the way that they get their energy to, and all of that and how they had their own, they basically have their own electrical grid and like the East coast and the, or the Eastern part of the country and the Western part, they have their separate power grids. And Texas was like, we want to do it on our own. We can do this on our own and it makes sense for us. And, you know, and it's, it's been exposed to be a total mess. Um, and yeah. like now people are getting bills for like tens of thousands of dollars for their, you know, g- gas and electric bills. And, um, yeah, Ted Cruz was like, oh, "This you know, this shouldn't happen. People shouldn't have to pay this because of a one-time emergency or something. And someone retweeted and was like, he, Ted Cruz, I totally agree. Now take this logic and apply it
1: to literally everything else. <laughs> literally everything else. <laughs> uh, so no, it's it's very real. And yeah, people have people have died um, from from this. There was an 11 year old child who died of hypothermia. There are a bunch of um, like monkeys and animals at the zoo died. Not to say that their mm. lives are more valuable than humans, of course, but they are valuable, and it's. Um, yeah, it's there have been some devastating effects people have died people have gotten ill people have these like you said tens of thousands of dollars bills because they happen to have power mm-hmm. <laughs> and oftentimes they were helping out people who didn't have power um it's an entire clusterfuck and having people in leadership like ted cruz is just as a disservice to everybody because not only is he not showing up and representing what he's supposed to, you know, and, and being this this person uniting people. Yeah. He's also not helping people via legislation. Like, he's, he's not doing shit. Um, yeah. He hasn't done shit. Um, and that's why we shit on him. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, that yeah, not to detract from how serious things are in Texas, but just, I mean, fucking Ted Cruz, come on.
0: It was a moment of just national levity and catharsis for us oh. all to just direct
1: all of our... <laughs> rage He's, and opprobrium on him <laughs> exactly for him running away to cancun blaming the women and his family for it and leaving snowflake behind Ugh. and then throwing out water bottles with potentially having covid like my god it's like trump with the paper towels but yeah somehow, i don't know if it's worse or better but it's they're both bad
0: they're both <laughs> really bad really tone deaf and, uh, just fundamentally misunderstanding, like what the moment, what people need in these
1: moments and how they can yeah. actually be helpful in a real way, <laughs> which also makes you wonder about the people advising them, you know, it's just like, how, how yeah. are you so how far removed must all of the people that are telling you what to do be from reality in addition to you for this to be happening or just yeah. not listen to like <laughs> either way. You should have been out of this position that you've been in um, many, many years ago. So hopefully mm-hmm. eventually we can do away with Ted Cruz as well as many others. Um,
0: I hope so. I hope so. I hope. I mean, I, I know that Texans, he ba- he barely won re-election um, in 2018 um, against Beto O'Rourke. And, you know, there's hopefully we'll just see. Um Texas gradually become more and more purple and perhaps have a little bit of a blue swing um, in 2022, if everything isn't hopelessly gerrymandered, um, because the point has been made over and over that Texas has had complete Republican control, you know, the state government um, and elected representatives for the last 25 years. Um, So the fact that there's any Talking points getting pumped out about how it's the green energy, green new Do- green new deal, which by the way, like has not been passed, you know, that's causing this, and um, solar wind energy is just um, ignorant, you know, and wrong. Of course, there were some some windmills that failed, but that was not that is not the majority of. Um, where Texas gets their energy and it's also not even, it's also because they aren't, weren't weatherized and you can get weatherized ones. Like there are, you know, windmills in, um, Northern States and yeah, I don't have all the energy on this. I always feel like I sound a little bit like, <laughs> just like grabbing at straws a little bit, but it's just because like, you know, it's hard, like, it feels like the talking point is so stupid on their side, and um, it's just anyway, it's the stuff that comes out of Fox News. Like this is AOC's fault, and it's like that's it's not <laughs> like AOC and Ed Markey have nothing to do with this, and except in the fact that you know she's down there now raising money because she understands that like we're stronger as a collective, and like we need to help everyone not just, you know, she's not just helping people in her district. She recognizes the humanity in everyone. It would be so cool if Ted Cruz did, so.
1: Yeah, and all fucking, God, imagine if, like, the majority of representative, uh, like, elected positions were held by people who actually gave a shit about people. That would be amazing. It really Um, would. But I do believe that there are, a not insignificant number of people in public office like AOC who do give a shit because I think there is this yeah. idea that politicians are a monolith and they don't care about us um, and I think that there is validity to that concern and there is history to that and there are reasons to believe that that are entirely true but I do think there are people like AOC who um, who genuinely give a shit about people who are doing their darndest to help. And I just hope as an electorate, we can begin to distinguish between the people that are out for themselves and people that actually give a shit about others Yeah, uh, and start to elect in our own interests rather than people who cater to maybe our fears or our you know, lowest common denominator or the worst instincts of in us. Um, yeah. Fingies crossed. But until then, we have Ted Cruz leaving his little fluffy dog in Texas during an unprecedented... And of course, we have the people on the internet being like, global warming, what it's cold."
0: <sighs> it's I mean,
1: I don't know how to how to
0: combat that one. That I mean, I, I, because science is obviously not penetrating any of these minds. Like, you know, there are specific reasons why this might actually happen more more
1: as the earth warms right it's it's a climate crisis climate change there's an overall warming which is not it's but it's not a plateau or a continuous thing there it, it will lead to events like we've already seen you know in, increased natural disasters things like that mm-hmm. um, it's not as simple as it's not hot so um, excuse me global warming is a lie like that's about how any of this works no. um, we're not giving our episode to this but it is not uh, difficult to look that up on the internet to see, um, sort of the science behind why the climate crisis is real, what it means and how it doesn't just mean everything will be hot.
0: Yeah. Right. There's more to it than that. (laughs) There is, there is. (sighs) Oh man. Well, in other, you know, depressing markers of time and (laughs) <laughs> the moment um, we've passed the 500,000 um, death number in of pandemic deaths in the United States, highest number of deaths uh, per country in the world. That's us. Um, the Daily Beast also um, put, com- compiled like uh, the loss of life in terms of um, American cities by population like Five hundred thousand deaths is more than the population of um, Salt Lake City, Reno, Newark, Pittsburgh, St. Louis, Honolulu, Cleveland, Minneapolis, Oakland, um, and Miami combined. Um, it's also more than more Americans lost than in World War One, Two, and the Vietnam War combined. Um, so it's just a a colossal the scale a colossal loss, and the scale is really hard to wrap your head around or at least you know for me to wrap my head around um and it's nice that we at least have a president who like for instance like last night he had like a moment of silence to mark the five hundred thousand. and there's like black Mm -hmm. bunting along the white house and candles and you just feel like there is this solemnity which is important
1: um the president with empathy Exactly. Yeah, does like it legitimately matters? It's a it big, does. It maybe it took it for granted before, but it does matter to have that reflected in leadership. I think. Yeah, I totally agree. Um yeah. but it's so. it's devastating. It's five hundred thousand individuals and their families and their friends and their kind. It's the the impact of one human being dying is so many human beings and so many lives affected. You think about five hundred thousand people. The lives that they would have been able to lead, things they would have been able to do, um, and then the, the survivors um, from their lives, and it's 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 beyond devastating. I mean, if you can imagine the people you love the most in your life, and then they're mm-hmm. lost to this, and then you think about how certain people are talking about this virus, it's infuriating. Like it's, I think we've come to a place, at least in certain parts of the country, where because we have we're getting some, some vaccine access and things are happening. People are are getting a little more comfortable and I don't want people to be scared all the time. At the same time, now is not the time to get comfortable. Now is the time to double up and double down, you know, put your surgical mask under your cloth mask, do all the things that you can do to prevent it um, because the numbers are declining, but the variants are coming. Like where we are in Washington state um, we've, Gotten the first case of the South Africa variant,
0: mm-hmm. uh,
1: that's new. We've had, I think, almost forty of the UK variants now. The Brazil variant hasn't come, but it will, um, and we don't, we don't know exactly how how that's going to play out. We know that the vaccine is effective to some regard against these variants. We know that it prevents death um, for the most part in these variants, which is huge, but that doesn't mean we won't have long haulers, we won't have people contracting it and spreading it to others who haven't been vaccinated. You know, it's, we're not out of this yet, and people acting like we are is just going to caused all the more deaths all, all the more time in this situation mm-hmm. um and it's I feel like it's like we're in high school and it's like we have one class left at the end of the day and it's like mm-hmm. everyone's to run out but like we gotta sit through it mm-hmm. we gotta do the things we gotta do because otherwise we're all going to be quote-unquote punished for it um yeah just, we gotta we gotta stick by the, the precautions and the standards right now Yeah.
0: It's not what anyone wants to hear. It's obviously not ideal, but it's, I mean, none of this is ideal and we just have to try to stem the tide of loss and death uh, in these last,
1: you know, fingers crossed last few months of this pandemic pandemic. Yeah. I think he's, I mean, uh, face masks and things will probably be a thing for a long time, but hopefully, ideally we can be out of the situation that we're in relatively soon. And it's going to take us working together on a Mm -hmm. common goal. Yeah. Um, hope we can do it. I hope so too. I hope so too. Um, it's just, yeah, it's, it's for, it's for everyone's best, um, And yeah, double mask, look into the the deets of how you can protect yourself wherever you are and what you should be doing and and what the mandates are in your area. But we're not, uh, we should be heartened by the vaccine progress and we should be hopeful. Um, I don't think there's any reason not to be but at the same time we need to be realistic we need to understand like the the gravity situation the things that we don't know
0: mm-hmm. and
1: things that we do know we knew we know what the vaccine is uh, effective against and we know how to prevent spread as much as possible so if everything's just like chill out stay yeah. home and keep fucking masking up for a minute mm-hmm. we can actually get out of this um, in a real way yeah. That would be great. Really wonderful. We would love that. (laughs) Fingers crossed. Um, Yeah. Yeah. And for the main topic of the episode, we wanted to discuss uh, the book um, Hood Feminism by Mickey Kendall. And Riri, Maria, had the great idea of incorporating more kind of readings into the podcast because I think we're both thinking like, all right, Trump's gone. There's still so many things to call out and so many things to see, but I think we want to you know, chat about some other stuff, too. going to scratch that itch. Yeah. Um, but in terms of this book itself, it's a collection of essays. Um, very readable in terms of, you know, she breaks it down so anyone can understand it, but it's also difficult to read because of the, the you know, the gravity and the depth of what she is talking about. Um, and essentially, it's... I think this book is a really great introduction to intersectional feminism. Um, It's a mixture of her personal experiences, the author's experiences, and issues that disproportionately impact women of color as a whole, access to housing, education, food, et cetera, and kind of the idea that when she talks about hood feminism, the idea that Feminism in the Hood is about survival rather than becoming CEO and the idea of refocusing mainstream feminism, white feminism to include all women. Um, And while it's important (laughs) to have women in in positions of leadership have women CEOs at the same rate as men CEOs and, and all across the board, I don't I don't think her point was to dismiss that. But I think her point was to be was to say, like, yeah, but for some women, like we're still trying to survive Mm-hmm. Um, we need women CEOs. But we also need women who are nurses, teachers, doctors, lawyers. We need women at all levels um, that are in positions to care for themselves, care for their families, have access to the things that they need. Um, and she made a really compelling case for including those things like housing, food, education, whatnot, into the broader discussion when we talk about feminism. Because I think it's easy to get lost in the in sort of these... Uh, these larger, not necessarily larger goals, but things like, you know, people in leadership positions at huge companies, Mm -hmm. um, which are, again, important, but represent a small proportion of human beings. So we need to really focus feminism on actually making impacts in women's lives rather than just in leadership positions, in public positions, even though that's important too.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I think that's a great, that's a great summary. And I think it's uh, uncomfortable to kind of read and understand and (laughs) process the ways in which when feminism is discussed and, and when we think about mainstream feminism, it really goes without saying that it's really white feminism that the conversation that is centered in the conversation. And, um, that she presents that case and, and the, the harmful effects of white feminism on all women, um, including white women, uh, and how we need to really, I think, um, center feminism broadly on the needs of black and brown women first, because, uh, and I think she even uses this quote somewhere in the book, like the rising tide brings up all ships, like, you know, (laughs) um, and I think that's, that, that is true. It's particularly painful to read about the ways in which white women have failed, have failed everyone, frankly. Um, it's, it's tough. It's, it's, uh, (laughs) the ways in which we protect, um, we like white women broadly, um, have decided to side with, um, protecting like whiteness versus protecting women, um, choosing race over gender, um, implicitly in a lot of cases, uh, and that could, can happen in big and small ways from, you know, there was one part that, you know, I felt extra kind of seen, which is like, okay, so you'll do dishes next to your conservative aunt. <laughs> I think she even said aunt Susan, which is funny. Cause I have an aunt Sue who is conservative. Mm. Um, I was like, wow, that's reaching right into my own life specifically. Um, but mm. it was like, so you'll do dishes with your aunt Sue, um, and you guys will just decide not to talk about politics because it's unpleasant. And so you'll prioritize family relations over trying to get to or trying to make any any progress with um, the women in your life who need who, who actually would benefit from a conversation. Um would just like to say in my defense i do sometimes have these conversations i do think this is interesting because it's like i have had these conversations with and i i am one of the few people in my family who get into this shit with my conservative relatives and it's seen i think largely as a negative quality um at family gatherings which i understand and it's like but there is a sense of you're being difficult you're making things unpleasant or uncomfortable in talking about things that people don't want to talk about you know whiteness racism gender biases
1: why do you have to ruin the party with the truth yeah Uh, no I thought she I I was scrolling through my notes to see like I guess I didn't bold it um (laughs) I was kind of taken by the same message that she sent where she was talking about how white women are anything but a monolith as a voting block, Mm. but they have proximity to people that are the opposite of the political spectrum to them in a way that no other group does. Mm -hmm. Um, And that you are side by side with these people. And, you know, because, you know, the jokes of like, ah, my my racist uncle or my this or that, or my, you know, uncles are always the ones that like at the end of that stereotype. But- Mm -hmm. I think it is a really good point that she made. Um, And it's, we don't, I think also, as as this is not an excuse, but as part of being women, we want, we're socialized into making situations okay and comfortable for everyone around us, Mm -hmm. not create waves. Um, And so I think it is incredibly important for, for white women in particular to hear this, to hear like, you need to be, you are the people that have, you're benefiting from this, and you have access to the people that are preventing us from moving forward. And it is your responsibility to have those conversations, no matter how hard they are. Um, you know this or that. And I am lucky in that no one in my immediate family is, you know, Trumpy or conservative. My dad used to vote Republican, not anymore. I brainwashed <laughs> him. But I definitely, I have family members, aunts and uncles and things like that um, who I'm trying to get closer to and mm-hmm. I'm trying to sort of reevaluate the role of, of family and extended family in my life and really like draw these people closer to me partially because I had an aunt and uncle almost died from COVID and I just, mm-hmm. I really wanted, there are people who I really enjoy their company and who are really kind to me. Um, But, you know, they're not they don't understand these issues so much. And they're the kind of people who say, I'm not racist, but um, Mm -hmm. and I think it is incredibly important for me to have those conversations with them. You know, I've started I need to be better about it. And for all of us to have those conversations, because the thing is that as white women, generally, uh, I'm sure there are exceptions, but generally we do have access to people. Who are voting <laughs> in a way um, that is against our interests, against the interests of most people, against marginalized people. Um, you know, and I think it is up to us to, to do better. And uh, she had a great quote in the book. I mean, she had a ton of fucking great quotes in the book, yeah. a lot of great things to say. Um, and I enjoyed the way that she, um, she told her story. But she said something to the lines of that it was bad enough that white women won't even vote to protect themselves, but as a voting block, that we have the power to harm others too. Mm-hmm. Which I sort of took as like slap me in my silly not not me, but like a slap in the silly face of like, you are hurting yourself by the choices you're making, and that's bad enough, but you're also hurting other people, and that's yeah. too far. And I think that is. The lesson that we that we need to sit with, and we need to think about, and when we would rather have a comfortable conversation, or we'd rather just avoid it all, like we we need to do the work and have the uncomfortable conversations, and maybe disown ourselves from certain people, and whatever um, we need to do to actually be good allies, accomplices, advocates um, for the people of color in our life, because it's so, 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 so hard to speak up with people that, with people that you have history with, that you have all this stuff with, but it's so much harder to be discriminated against. And we don't have to experience that in the same way. And I think it is, we know it is on us to do that. And I think reading this reminded me um, kind of little fire that like we need we know this, but like, Mm -hmm. we need to be doing this better and more and always. Um, Yeah. We need need to be considering women outside of the like white middle-class upper-class.
0: Yeah. And considering issues that are not, that haven't traditionally been framed as feminist issues, like Mm -hmm. food access and equity there um, and housing, housing access um, and really basic survival um, survival mechanisms. Um, and uh, that really um, was impactful to think about. Uh, we've both, I think we've had this conversation about both of us being like, you have always had been an interested in public health and I've sort of had a new newfound interest in like um, nutrition and like that type of thing. So I found myself going down different roads, just like Googling that recently. And I do find the, like, specifically just food access, food deserts, and, and, and equity surrounding food um, really depressing, <laughs> um, specifically, just because it feels like um, in this country in 2021, um, there shouldn't be this type of inequity in terms of, like, people being living far away from places where they can get, um, like healthy, affordable food. Um, I really appreciated how, um, this book kind of gets into the soda tax and kind of really Uh, makes you think deeper about the soda tax uh, mm -hmm. in a way that I hadn't thought about it really like. I think I had, I think I'm sure I had read like a couple of takes that were like, well, soda's more affordable for people of, you know, below a certain income bracket or something, or with that, like I'm sure that I had read that, but it really hadn't sunk in until I thought about it this way. Um, shelf stable, much cheaper. Um, one of the only things you have access to less, you know, it, it was uh Ah, it's a minefield. There is. <laughs> yeah. yeah,
1: it's, it's a lot. Soda's a lot cheaper than juice, you know? Mm-hmm. And like you said, it's, it's shelf stable and all of these things. And, you know, when she speaks about programs to meaningfully address hunger, you know, I, and she also yeah. spoke to the idea that we have a lot more robust programs for dealing with obesity than we mm-hmm. do with hunger in this country. And it's not to say that we don't need to deal with obesity, but at the same time, you know, more and more studies are coming out that being "quote unquote" overweight and of itself isn't a health issue. It's it's tied. It can be tied to other things. It's correlative. It's complicated. Whatever. Um, everyone stop fucking body shaming people. Mm-hmm. But we we don't talk about these people in these snap and these WIC programs and why they're making the choices that they make. And, you know, it's easy. I am sure that when the soda tax came out, I was like, that's a good idea, <laughs> Yeah, you know, which is foolish and naive and prejudicial. And, you know, especially with like, I had gone into that with the public health background when that came out. And I think I thought it was a good idea. I'm pretty sure I did. <laughs> um well, it had a lot of good press. It had a lot of good press from like yeah. liberal left-leaning publications. Exactly. And that's also like, I think a um, a message for us all to take home is to, to really step back and think about these things, which sounds very simple and like, duh, think about the things that you read. But I think- I know myself, I can, I can go into something thinking I have an open mind, but I have my preconceived notions And I think, mm-hmm. so that's bad. It's bad for people's, it's bad for the health of people who are marginalized, you know? Yeah. <laughs> you should, you know, they should, but no, 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 <laughs> that's not how it works. And I also think there are a lot of, um, incorrect ideas, about people who are receiving SNAP and WIC, and she talks about that in her book too,
0: mm-hmm.
1: um, And one thing statistic wise that she mentioned that I think is really should resonate with people is that 40% of SNAP recipients are already working. They're already working full-time jobs. And many of the other, the majority of the other 60% can't work because either they're you know, elderly or, or disabled, they're minors, um, mm-hmm. they're caregivers. You cannot leave the home. Like this isn't people like there's this idea of these people quote unquote taking advantage of the system. Mm-hmm. It's not happening. <laughs> no, it's really not happening. It's just, we don't have in a majority of places in this country, we don't have the opportunity for people to make living wages, working one job. So we have people either working multiple jobs and receiving these benefits. Um,
0: mm-hmm.
1: It's, it's a complete clusterfuck. Um, and she's also spoke to the fact in the book that she had received things from, like, Section 8 and from SNAP and from WIC that aren't around anymore and that where mm-hmm. she lived in public housing is gone now and, um, if anything, in certain ways, we're moving in the wrong direction. Yeah. Um, that she was... She is a success story of certain government programs, you mm-hmm. know, that we've kind of defanged and, and taken away from the people who need them. Um and it's, again, it's, people aren't taking advantage of, like, by and large, people are not taking advantage of these things. People should have access to healthcare and education and housing. These things are are the benchmarks of becoming a quote-unquote successful human being, however you categorize that. Mm-hmm. Um, it's incredibly hard to raise a family or operate in any way without having a home base, without having your food in your mouth, you know? Um so I thought it was really important for her to kind of reframe that for everybody.
0: Yeah, I, I like how, I mean, it actually also made me think of this thing from um, Trevor Noah has this book, Born a Crime, that I just also read where he was talking about um, teach him, you know, give a man a fish. He has a fish for that day. Teach a man to fish. You know, he knows how to fish. But then he said, Te- teach a man to fish, but you have to give him a, a fishing pole. He has to have a means mm-hmm. to you know, fish, (laughs) like you can't just teach him and leave him without access to a fishing pole, you know, Um, which kind of in terms of this hunger chapter, um, when she talked about um, feminism, basically... you know, for many, a choice between starvation and crime isn't a choice. Feminism has to be aware enough and flexible enough to encompass the solutions that arise in a crisis. Um, And so needing to acknowledge like the fundamental impact of what hunger does to a person, what, what, what um, food insecurity Mm -hmm. does for a mother who's already working full-time or two jobs trying to feed, feed children, not sure about her how, you know, housing and um, in the housing chapter, she also gets into, um, you know, it's basically impossible to spend 30% of your income on housing if you're making minimum wage or anywhere around there. Um, If you're like, especially, it doesn't matter if you're in an urban or a rural area um, because rural areas correlate to like lower, even lower incomes. Um, So there's just this whole like, there's this whole way in which we have sort of, we we speak about uh, poverty and the, the, that doesn't intersect with feminism, with the traditional conversations around feminism. Um, and feminism, at least like the way that I think we have the privilege to talk about it because we're, because I, we, you know, thankfully we're both food secure at this moment and housing, have housing security. And if there were issues, I think like there's, you know, family or friends to fall back on a little bit in some way um and
1: like brothers my brothers would not love it but (laughs) I think they'd let me come to their house (laughs) I think they would have to and if not honestly your parents would take honestly they would (laughs) they would the thing is I honestly trust, (laughs) I trust in your parents more than
0: (laughs) Uh, they would. Oh, that, I mean, that brings up a whole other thing that she talks about with, uh, with community and, um, yeah. yeah, the security of, of knowing that at least like, because a lot of, um, black women don't, uh, and I think this also goes for the Latinx community and indigenous women. I mean, you're not even reporting a lot of the crimes that are, that, you know, you don't see the police as a source of help that would probably hurt the situation more than it would help in a lot Mm -hmm. of instances. So you rely on like soft influence or community, you know, a conversation or, or I think she, she kind of uses the term vice, I think like, or like skirting the lines with like vice with like, with hood feminism to try to get to, to survive. It is, it, and I, I like that it's kind of, it does come down to, it comes down to survival. And the fact that uh, a, uh, that the, the modern 2021 conversation around feminism is more Sheryl Sandberg's lean in than it is like, you know, there's such a huge gap, um, income gap be, first between women and men in terms of what we're earning, the wage gap is still very real, but mm-hmm. white women are still earning more than all um, women of color. Um, mm-hmm. And then there's, so there's that gap. And then there's um, just the whole, uh, I think it was in an interview cause I went back to listen to um, NPR did like a code switch where they talked to Mickey Kendall last year. And she said like, you know, pull yourself up by your bootstraps is like, have you ever, ever even tried that? Like uh, you can pull up a shoe. Shoelace. Like you
1: can... <laughs> uh, I, That might've been the Trevor Noah interview. Oh, really? Okay. Yeah. <laughs> Cause that's the one I watched. <laughs> so yeah. Try pulling yourself up by your shoelaces. They're going to break. It's not going to fucking work. Like... <laughs>
0: <laughs> <laughs> and I really like that. I think that we are, I mean, and this is a conversation and I've, I've had this with my, my boyfriend, we've had this conversation recently, a fair amount, just because the conversations there's it's easy to get mired down in I think like these like cultural quagmires where it's easy to be like bickering about the same same bullshit because we're all it's just easy to take this bait, this red meat of like, oh, how do we all feel about the most recent like school board in San Francisco doing something that's maybe over the top or maybe, you know, whatever. It's just like, why are we bickering about that when there are actually like so many um there's so much inequity in this country that that could be fixed with just like sensible policy. And unfortunately in this moment where there's a racial reckoning, like, you know, with last summer with George Floyd, um, uh, marches happening all over the, the country, um, which was so inspiring, but, it, and, and has, has, has led to a lot of more honest conversations amongst certain groups of people, um, we're also having to deal with, we're dealing with the pandemic. We're dealing with 30 years of deregulation, which is kind of becoming like, it's just a lot of chickens are coming home to roost all at the same time. And there's yeah. climate change. Like it's a rough time to be a human trying to figure things out. But you know what? It, this this was so helpful to um, also kind of contextualize like, okay, I, you know, I'm doing okay. And I really it did light a fire. It's like, okay, what can I do in my community? Um, how can I, how can I be, how can I be helpful? And also how can I be helpful in like a non-problematic way, <laughs> which is a whole <laughs> another like thing to oh, total. Can of beans. <laughs> yeah. It's a can of beans. Like, it, Yeah. How, yeah. how, how to be help how to be helpful in a real way, how to, how to listen to what other communities are telling you, let them kind of take the center stage or take, and like she said, at some point, like you might even have to get off the stage. It's like, yeah, I don't need to be <laughs> on the stage, but I yeah. do want to know desperately, like, how can I be of help?
1: Exactly. How, how, how do I help in this way? And I think, um, you know, like we've spoken about, like speaking, speaking to the people in our lives, I think is incredibly, it sounds like not a fucking thing, but I think it's incredibly impactful because they, the people who have certain beliefs, um, are, I think more likely. I mean, they're most likely to listen, men are more likely to listen to other men than to women, unfortunately, but I do think that the men in our families and the women in our families are complicit, um, Mm -hmm. Are more likely to listen to us when we call them out. And so, even though it feels like small beans having these like one on one conversations, I do think it's incredibly impactful. And I think, you know, if you have, I don't, in general, I don't think just throw money at problems, but if you have the resources to give, I think finding a location, um, a nonprofit that that serves marginalized communities and you know you can pick education housing whatever and give a monthly amount and share it to your friends maybe they share it to their friends and that does add up you know there are because I like you're kind of alluding to I feel while I was reading this book and after I finished it I felt kind of um I I just didn't know what to do to do, (laughs) Mm -hmm. which is how I felt this entire, I mean, my whole life, really. It's like, I want to help and I want to be a good ally. And I, you know, um, but I don't, I don't know how to do it. Um, mm-hmm. and one of the big points she makes is letting people of color and marginalized people do their own fucking work mm-hmm. and work in their own communities and providing ins where you can in other industries and things like that. Um, so of course it's like case by case basis, but I think we all, all of us that are white women need to, you know, think what, what field do I work in? Is there an opportunity for me to practice racial justice in my role? And if there's not, how can I practice it in my life? Mm -hmm. Um, You know, and it's like literally in in reading this book, which it's a lot of things that we've talked about and we've thought about, but reading it all together, I thought like, okay, what are things I can do at work that will help us, you know, as the public health department, better serve people from diverse backgrounds? And I'm not a superhero. I'm not saving shit overnight, but it's 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 individual. It's thinking about how in your own life you can make a change, how you can affect change because we can't all start a nonprofit. We can't all do all these things. We can all talk to people and, mm-hmm. and stand up for people when they say things that are wrong, things that are mm-hmm. racist, things that are sexist. You know, we can all stand up to our family and to strangers as uncomfortable as it is. Um, and some of us can advocate in our workplaces or in other places for equity. Um, so it's, I don't think there's a one size fits all answer for how to, how to be an ally or an accomplice, but I think mm-hmm. that we all have to at least like really try and not just be lip service. And, uh, you and I are going to keep reading books about it. And I do think, I think sometimes we're like, okay, you're reading a book whatever, <laughs> but I, I do think it is important to stay informed and, mm-hmm. and to read perspectives from people who are not, from the backgrounds you're from, um, to better understand how to serve those, those people in those communities. Mm-hmm. Um, cause it's, we have work to do. I mean, she, uh, so I was reading on Goodreads. Someone wrote like lambasted her for calling out like Bernie bros more than Trump supporters. Although when I read through it, I,
0: mm, I don't think I, she did that.
1: I, I, yeah. When I read through it, I didn't find that to be the case at all. Yeah. Um, how, <laughs> either way. Um, of course, there's someone who's like, Egh. I know reading through the Goodreads, you get pretty depressed. because it's like, And there was <laughs> someone who was talking about how um, they didn't agree with her advocating for rights for transgender people or people with disabilities, okay. God. Like, which is, yeah. Hard. Cause then what do you, how do you, how do you get to those people? I don't know. Um, but- you people who are willing to just put their name on good,
0: like, you know, just on Goodreads and like really lay into it in that way. It's like, Oh, you really, went there. Yeah, which means
1: there are so many more people that that think that, if they're willing to say it. Um, But I think we, as people who are white women uh, who are listening to this, of which uh, both of you and I are, Mm -hmm. (laughs) um, you know, she brings up a couple of times the point that in 2016, 53% of white women voted for Trump, which I think is an important point to make, because Mm -hmm. white women were the only marginalized group that voted for him by majority in 2016.
0: Bummer. I fucking... Oh, yeah, we are, and we we went
1: for him and more in 2020. Yeah. Um. So I I I mean we are nestled up in the patriarchy, you know, loving yeah. it, loving it. Um, <laughs> and it's got to fucking stop. Uh, it, we're and I I keep saying we as a, as a broad group, but we're relying more on and connecting more with our whiteness than our womanhood mm-hmm. or our, you know, desire for equity. And it's, um, really, uh, fucked up and poverty is a feminist issue. And, um, you know, it's uh, throughout her, throughout her story, you hear about the ways in which, or you can kind of deduce the ways in which, if she had been born in different circumstances, because she still, I mean, she still got to a, a place of, you know, quote unquote success, not as if I'm debating her success, but as we all kind of agree is success in America. Mm-hmm. Um, traditionally understood. Yeah. Yeah. She made money. She got a job. People know who she is. Mm-hmm. Great. Um, but at the same time, it's like getting there was, she was met with so many challenges that she did not need to be faced with that mm-hmm. so many people are not faced with. Um, just had to fight tooth and nail to get there. And then it's, I think a lot of white people and people in general, but mostly white people will look at that and be like, well, she did it. Why can't you? Mm-hmm. Um, and she's the first to say, like, I had I had my grandmother. I had, there are so many, It's a combination of luck and the people that I had in my life Mm -hmm. that I ended up where I did. And she tells she tells a story of her friend Dion she grew up with who ended up Mm -hmm. dying due to to gang violence. Who was just like her, you know. It's not. Yeah. It's, it's not right. It's not fair. It's, it's fucked up. We, and we know these things, but I think it's a really important book because she just lays it all out there. And she speaks, one thing I hadn't thought about before reading it is how eating disorders impact
0: mm-hmm.
1: women of color at the same rates as they impact white women, which yeah, I would have, if it was a multiple choice question, I would have guessed that, but I hadn't thought about it. But yeah. white women have resources in general. Yes, we know there are white women who are poor, but in general, white women have resources that people, women of color don't have, girls of color don't have. In terms of dealing with that, Mm -hmm. Um, and that of course goes on to to other issues that other teenage girls face. Um, You know, sexual assault, violence, peer pressure, anything that we're setting kids of color up for failure before they even started and yeah. for them to succeed in the ways that we define success they have to go so far above and beyond their white peers it's it's insane and she talks about Eurocentric beauty standards and how you know messy buns are sloppy chic for white ladies but mm-hmm. for one of color your hair is <laughs> is you know kind of litigated in certain job situations mm-hmm. um, and in schools mm-hmm. and just the And there are certain points, and I I hate saying this out loud, but there are certain points in the book where I was like, well, white women, you know, in my mind, I was like, I remember going through that. But it's like, we'll all have those moments. Yeah. (laughs) It's fine. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Shut your mouth think learn and move forward like Mm -hmm. I I I just wanted to say that because I felt them and I had them from time to time yeah Um, just thinking about my own reckoning with my body image and the things I dealt with with men in my life and and whatnot where I I felt like well I'm not being seen and then as I felt like disgusted with myself as I was you know thinking the thoughts I was thinking Mm -hmm. um but the reason I wanted to say it was just because I think sometimes maybe there's a barrier to people entering the feminist movement or movements like this because they're uncomfortable or they're defensive. And that doesn't mean you're not, you shouldn't be part of it. It means you should analyze those feelings, yeah, you know, and, and try to figure out where they came from and how you can, um, you know, be better, but you still got to do the work, even if it's uncomfortable.
0: Yeah. Like feel the defensiveness wash over you Mm -hmm. and process it and move on and move on. I mean, just get over it. I mean, and, or, or I guess I don't really want to say get over it because it's like process it process, like why you're feeling that way. And, you know, no one is trying to invalidate your experience. What we're trying to do, and what Mickey Kendall is trying to say, is like there is a whole lot of other experiences that always get erased or minimized and diminished, and certainly not prioritized when it comes to actually, um, certainly not policy making, but definitely, but just culturally and and in like the feminist think space, like totally ignored or not even and, and I don't even ignore it implies like they were ever there. It just feels like the, the the conversations around you know body image for minorities and hunger and housing access is never part of the conversation about feminism really. So
1: exactly and it needs to be you and, know, and yeah like can you imagine if <laughs> if all of us had, had grown up without certain kinds of access and we can look at our own life lives and see the the things that we did not have or the ways in which we felt you know wronged or the you know and she makes a point to say like misogyny exists you know white women experience it too they're still mind-numbingly voting against their own interests but like it's a thing um but her focus is on on black women and she also speaks to other women of color and that's important you know we can't I think part of the defensive defensiveness that comes out is this idea that, you know, as white women, we're the default, even though we're not consciously thinking or wanting or believing that, mm-hmm. um, it is a reality that, you know, we grow up and it's like, Unless if you grew up in a predominantly white town, the, the way people will describe other people, it's not going to be like, oh, yeah, so she's white, blah, 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 blah. You know, mm-hmm. that's, that's the assumed. That's the norm. That's what happened. That's what happens. It's wrong. It shouldn't be that way. You know, that's the way a lot of us were raised and we need to unlearn that. Um, and I think it's just important to fucking listen and read um, and then focus on these things. Yeah.
0: It's um I will say like for one thing that I uh noticed that I became defensive of and I just think it's I just think it's interesting. It's like why do we certainly why do we become defensive over like specific things? Um the for me like I think it's it's towards the beginning. She talks about the um Amy Schumer, Lena Denham, like her
1: yes. Oh my god. Yeah, I was one, I had like random notes about girls and Lena Dunham and I was wondering if you were going to dive into that.
0: Well, I Lena Dunham, it's so sad. Like really I what a roller coaster with her, but super disappointing just generally. I think she's really kind of has not she's made some like recent and by recent I mean the last couple of years like too hugely problematic like not not um basically speaking out against that woman who alleged um sexual assault on, on girls that was like super fucked up, um, and disappointing. And I think that's kind of when she lost me, but I think this happened before that, the, the publicity kerfuffle where she and Amy Schumer were basically like talking about, I'm just like computer. Um, she and Amy Schumer were talking about this event that they'd gone to. I think it was, it might've even been the Met Gala and they were sitting across from, um, I think it, w- I think it's, it's a, a sports ball player. Was it, it do you remember who? Uh, it is
1: definitely a sports ball player. I'm
0: not. <laughs> I I'm think not a, <laughs> basketball player. Like, um, I don't remember. I hang on. Let me I see if I
1: think so. Uh, um, <laughs> if I can find it super quickly, I will, uh, uh um, Odell Beckham jr. Which I, okay.
0: Oh, was it? Yeah. Was it him? That would make sense. Um, so football. Then. So football. Okay.
1: Yeah. So this is, this is us just being, uh, <laughs> just trying to find sports, the uh, sports ball ignorant in
0: 2021. I know. I know. It's, it's a t- different time than it was. Yeah, it was. Uh. So, yeah. So there was this, you know, and um. basically it was a self-deprecating like conversation about how they both felt like ugly and inadequate at the Met Gala. And I think like it was it was a very white feminist-y toned conversation, um, which I totally understood why people got upset about it. Mm I was so it was I felt like it was going to be the exact same conversation if it had been like Ryan Reynolds across the table from them which is why it was so unfortunate that they cho- like that they were talking about Odo be- she was talking about Odo Beckham junior not being sexually interested in her and proje- and oh, by the way totally projecting that like he never he just wasn't talking to her, you know,
1: (laughs) doing doing his own, doing his
0: own thing. They projected like, or, and I think it was Lena Dunham specifically. It was just in conversation with Amy Schumer, who was like also validating, like, God, I felt ugly too, which by the way, like a whole separate thing because the Met Gala is one of those things where everyone looks gorgeous and the two of them are non-typical, like, you know, in terms of body standards, but it's a totally separate conversation, you know? So unfortunately they kind of stepped in it. Um, and at the time it bothered me. Like I, that was when my defensive like hackles kind of came out. Cause I just felt like, okay, it does feel like this is completely based on like, it it's just, a, it's, a it's like a selfish them centric conversation that would have happened. Whoever the like hot guy across the table was. Mm-hmm. And it just happened to be Odell Beckham jr. However, There is such a devastating history of white women like falsely accusing, um, you know, black men of assault or rape and causing just like causing chaos in their wake from their discomfort of and, and like false sexualizing of of black men. And that needs to be understood and acknowledged and people need to be more thoughtful in the way that they speak so that was that all that's my example of feeling like the defensiveness jumps out and then you just have to kind of just go okay like there is a we do not exist in vacuums and like our comments can be they're just they can be tone deaf and they can be ignorant and this you stepped into a history that is really fraught there and understand why people are upset and there are I think there's there's absolutely validity to to that and i think for a lot of people i mean i don't remember the l- I don't remember exactly what, at what point on the Lena Dunham chronology of like fucking up and being weird
1: and like problematic what thing. this was. Yeah. But she keeps apologizing though. It seems sincerely, but. Oh yeah, God. Yeah. She's lost me, but I don't remember when that was. <laughs> yeah. No, it, 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 it's like you said, with the history of white women making these accusations against black men, it is uh tone deaf to say the least. Um, mm-hmm. I mean, and yeah, to, like, at the same time, if I were sitting at an awards gala with someone as attractive as him, I would feel a certain kind of way if he wasn't talking to me. But at the same time, he yeah. is coming from the perspective of being a black man when white women falsely accuse you of shit. Right. So it's not about the white women not getting flirted with. Right. Like, he's living his own fucking life and you're not the center of it, you know? Right. Right. Which I and say has fastly, to be okay. <laughs> although I would have probably felt, I. again, I hate saying it out loud. If I ever run for office, all of these are going to come back and bite me in the ass. But I think at the time, I probably would have felt similar because, you know, he's a hot dude. And if yeah. I were single, I would have been like, please talk to me. <laughs> but you can't ignore you know, history of race in this fucking country and what that means. So that means there are other people. And he's just as women, we are allowed to go about our lives and listen to things on headphones and walk down the street without being hit on by men. Men can go about their lives without feeling they have to hit on us to validate us in our, you know, yeah, whatever. And it's, and it does get more complicated because Lena Dunham, even though, you know, her body type is not abnormal in America. It's abnormal to be seen portrayed as attractive still in America. And mm-hmm. so it, it, it is difficult in that way because you see that I feel like the intersectionality of black men and white women is fraught as fuck. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um, because white women have, I mean, I'm gonna tell we've done the most horrific things to mm-hmm. black men we have ruined their lives murdered them uh quote, unquote, mm-hmm. indirectly but directly yeah um so we don't really get to <laughs> be like oh right. but I thought he was hot right
0: um, we're not the harmed party here like historically no. or uh,
1: exactly yeah. and it's like yes white women are women and are victims of assault and violence and stuff um mm-hmm. but generally white women who are attacked or it's by white men you know yeah white men
0: attack more people
1: like of all races
0: than anyone
1: i had that (laughs) in i had that in bold and caps lock yeah yeah white men are doing it all and by doing it all we don't mean doing it the best no they're just really fucking things up yes assaulting the most people um I did want to mention uh, one thing she brought up which was that nearly 90% of people who are trans who have been killed are people of color. Um, she also speaks to other ways in which people who are trans are disproportionately targeted All mm-hmm. you know all that which is another reason to read the book but I did want to yeah um, at least call that out and she one section that I <laughs> don't know how much intelligence should I have to say about it but I thought was Incredibly thought provoking, and something I have not heard in any argument ever is the idea of um, pro choice, pro life, and aborting fetuses who potentially would grow into humans who have disabilities. Yeah. Like that is a rot fucking topic. And she hit it, she hit that head on um, Mm -hmm. and spoke to the fact that people in the prior life movement are often, you know, talking about this idea that women are murdering children with disabilities. And of course, fetuses are the potential for life. They are not living beings or existing outside of women's bodies. But it it was a really compelling thought, especially when you think about the facts that when you look at Flint, Michigan, you look at places like that, and you see the external factors that cause more disability in these Mm -hmm. families and you look at the sports that are offered to these families and the choices that they're given and, Mm -hmm. and it just gets real, uh, complicated. Um, and I had just, I had never heard the framing. That's one thing from this book I'd never heard before is the framing of, um, the argument for or against procreating, you know, and and bringing people in the world with disabilities who are equal human fucking beings. Yeah. And the idea of being pro-choice or pro-life, and and what that means, and eugenics, and eugenics. tying that all in together. Yeah. Was, was honestly, when I was not ready for it, I'm still processing because you know, I, I mean, I, I, I don't know what I would do in in certain situations. I. I have said that if I have a child, if I know that they have Down syndrome, I'm not going to abort, but at the same time, you know, my husband lost a child to a congenital heart defect, and he's Mm -hmm. been very adamant that if that shows up at ultrasound, like, done. And so it's, it's a really interesting thought when you bring that in to not only the feminism debate, but you bring that into um, we're talking about race and things like that, because it does disproportionately affect people of color because of the environments that we have created for them. Um, mm-hmm. So I have no like wisdom on that section. I just, I had not seen that discussed in that way. Yeah. Um, and I found it incredibly interesting, powerful, and I did not come to any conclusions.
0: <laughs> I, yeah, I, I, totally agree. It's absolutely, it's fraught. It's, it's a, I, it definitely, it's a thinker. Um, <laughs> you, you like it, and it, it does, she does a great job of just tying it right back to her, her overall thesis, which is like survival and the, how feminism it, like, you have to consider the material things, like the things that people need to survive: food, uh, uh, shelter, um, safety, a feeling of safety, um, healthcare, education. Kind of like in in those orders. Um, and if you're not given, if you know that you're not given the resources, or you will not be given the resources to safely feed and house and and have and and health have healthcare provided for. A child that is going to be disabled. It's it's just, I mean, devastating kind of set of questions that you know women have to navigate. And you kind of don't know. I mean, you don't know. Like you wouldn't a lot of people don't know how they would necessarily face that face down those choices.
1: Yeah. And you can think you know, and then you're in the situation and It's different than what you plan for it's like you, you can't fully plan for those things and I thought it was really um, interesting compelling that she brought that into the argument because it is it is part of it yeah you know? and it's a part of it I hadn't considered in that way um, so I thought that was was interesting and important um she also spoke a lot about uh, or not a lot about but in one of her chapters was speaking about um, people who have been killed in terms of women of color Um, and we already spoke briefly about trans people who have been killed but you know the average she spoke to the fact that that the average murder clearance rate in this country in America is 59% murder clearance rate means you figured out who did it and it's done and in Chicago which is predominantly black it's 25% um (laughs) missing black women, missing uh, indigenous women, missing Latinx women are, it's happening at these proportions that are (laughs) devastating and still in 2021, media coverage more often covers missing white women. Mm -hmm. Um, And she also makes the point, our little white feelings need it, that it's not that white women shouldn't be, (laughs) you know, if they're missing, that they shouldn't be, their cases shouldn't be pursued, but it needs to be equitable like all other things. Because Mm -hmm. what are we saying as a country when we're saying it matters on a national level when a white woman goes missing? But when mm-hmm. a black woman goes missing um, or an indigenous woman who it happens to more than anyone else, mm-hmm. you know, it's fine. We'll figure it out. Um, yeah. Yeah, absolutely. No. just <laughs> um, no. speaks out teacher, uh, teacher bias and over penalizing students of color. Um, the, the history of forced sterilization in this country and how that impacts things. Reproductive justice, and that including advocating for SNAP and wick like we talked about earlier, mm-hmm. um, just all of the all of the big buckets in our lives. Spoiler alert: um, can be part of racist institutions. <laughs> And I thought she did a really great way of laying out all of those buckets and tying in her personal story to sort of like the broader understanding of uh, research that we have.
0: Yeah, I totally agree. I, I, lots of places where I was just drawing like exclamation points and like, you know, under underlying, double underlying, like being like, oh my, what the fuck? Um, You know, just like this statistic sucks, (laughs) you know, or like, what was it that like the one, there was one where it was like indigenous women are dying or murdered at like what the rate of three or four times, you know, all other women, um, the, one thing that she said in the missing and murdered chapter two is like combating any chance of successfully combating this problem lies in the gover- government's willingness to follow the lead of the communities most impacted. And that one I underlined because it just sometimes just having it like said in that way and, and, and just sort of sitting with the fact that the government generally doesn't ever like... <laughs> follow the lead of the community most impacted on, on anything like you can apply it to COVID deaths, which is, which affects, you know, black and brown communities, more um, education gaps, the minimum wage discussion, like green energy. I mean, we're just, we never, even in the best governments, we haven't found a way to go okay who who are the people most impacted by this like mm-hmm. let's have them lead us to a place where let's like listen to what they're saying let's look at the data which uh, which backs Ooh. up what they're saying and validates their experience and then let's like find a problem like like let's find a way to solve that problem that is in line with what this community is saying that they need yeah. i mean can you think of any Program right now that's, I mean, no. that's responding. <laughs> like, yeah.
1: Yeah. No, it's, we are, our society is set up in a very fucked up way. And yeah, one other thing I would just want to mention while we're talking about her in the book is uh, the idea she brought up of like strong Black women and the fetish- yeah. fetishization of fierceness. Um, and it all seems complimentary, like, oh yeah, Black woman, you can do anything, Beyonce! Um, but it does not allow for the idea that as a society we have fucked over Black women since day one, um, and it's our responsibility to help correct it. The There was one study she referenced in it, and there are others akin to this that you can look up, but, Speaking to like the erasure of childhood in in black girls and this uh, objectification and, you know, adultization, if that's a word of them. Um, So there was a study and of three hundred and twenty five adults and every single one in that study when seeing a black girl and a white girl the same age every single one saw the black girls as more sexual, more mature, more independent than their white counterparts. And yeah, mature and independent might sound like good words, you know, cause it's, mm-hmm. you know, you don't want to be treated like a dainty little whatever, but at the same time they are making assumptions about the autonomy and the developmental level of these girls that, it's not. It's not fair. It's not right. And these are children, and we see how this this plays out in interactions with. With police officers who kill children because they are black children mm-hmm. and thus must be a threat. Um, there is no, I don't wish I didn't know how to say this, but yeah, there is no study, no research saying that black children are uh <laughs> more sexual than white children. That's definitely not a fucking thing. Yeah. Um, it's all racist shit tied up together. Um, and it hurts everybody, you know. This and she also spoke a lot to this idea of, of black girls and black women being unrapeable yeah because oh of God. their just inherent sexuality um, which sounds dramatic, but yeah, it's all blacked up um by studies and by research. so. That's another thing. Is this sort of adultification of black youth, whether they're boys or girls, whether they're boys playing with a water gun who are who's then murdered by a police officer because they decided it was a real gun, or the black woman standing next to the black man on the phone who sh- shot in the head and murdered because they thought the black man had a gun. You know, it's all of these things that happen that erase these lives and and. I mean, yeah, obviously we need to do better. um, But it's having, I think one thing that her, her, her book does a lot of things really well, but I think just laying out all these incredibly broad, cumbersome issues back to back Mm -hmm. and tying them together with like anecdotes and narratives and stories and statistics and facts. Mm -hmm. I thought she did, you know, a really, really beautiful job with that because I mean, how, how can you actually read those words and not give a shit, you know?
0: Yeah. Yeah. It it was, yeah, I think, I think it was so well done and, um, always coming back to kind of these overarching themes of, of collectivity, the, the power of the collective, um, over the individual, because we can, we can affect, we have the power to affect such change if we just understand feminism as a much broader, a much broader thing conceptually. Um, and get to the crux of like how feminism can help lift everyone up and bring everyone to a place where the, where, where their basic survival needs are met so that we can all come to, we, we can get to those other questions that are much more of a privilege in terms of the Sheryl Sandberg leaning in or having conversations about promising young women, like we have, you know, or conversations about like, Ooh, a New York times op-ed, you know, just like a lot of niche stuff that if you're working two jobs and trying to support a family or you're a single mom and you're kicked out of your house and it's, you can't bounce back because there aren't programs to help you and Mm -hmm. just like problem after problem after problem, um, barrier after barrier, you know, you may be, may have been taught to fish, but you don't have a fishing pole. Um, yeah, I thought that, I thought it was a really important book and like a, 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 an easy read, um, for people and really gives you a broad scope of understanding of the ways in which, um, white feminists can do a lot better a lot better and that we have to we really do have to exactly it's
1: like I think anyone who who calls themselves a feminist needs to read this book anyone who so they're an intersectional feminist and anyone who is a white person <laughs> <pretty> yeah much, <laughs> I'll just need to read this book because I mean there are some things like oh yeah well I knew that or I heard that but it's just like read it all together mm-hmm you know and if you think you knew everything because it's like I read some reviews of it where it's like I already knew all of that and it's like yeah going into it like I you and I both understood the big ideas behind it we did not know everything in the book because we are no. not black women like no put your ego aside and just read the fucking thing and then go from there
0: <laughs> like and also beyond the fact that I just also didn't know, you know, a whole lot that's in this book. And I certainly didn't put it together in this way or synthesize these ideas this way. It's overwhelming to me how much work there is to be done and how much, and, and how my own feelings on some of these things have evolved over my teenage to adult life and how I've grown as a person and how I still have a ways to go. And, and, and I'm, you know, in some ways, just overwhelmed by like, okay, what like, what can I practically do, and how can I help? And and we've talked about that, but it is like, this is a great blueprint to sort of take, you know, to understand, um, if you consider see yourself a feminist um, or and specifically an intersectional feminist, um, how you know, take this book, and decide why. You can possibly.
1: Nope. There we go. Boom. (laughs) Boom. (laughs) And now, for we see you. All right. Um, So. One of this Bachelor, uh, the season of this Bachelor's top three contestants uh, is Rachel kirk Um She is a white woman. Uh, she had some old social media photos resurface. Um, one included her of included her dressed in Native American attire and costume, which I haven't heard much about. I'm curious about that. And the other was her attending an antebellum plantation-themed ball for her sorority in 2018. Um, hmm. So not exactly ancient history. <laughs> um, and it was very clearly like celebrating and glamorizing plantation era at the South. Uh, so host of The Bachelor, Chris Harrison, who I enjoy in some capacity, went on uh, former bachelorette, Rachel Lindsay's podcast and Rachel Lindsay, again, not to be confused with Rachel Kirkenall, who we're seeing Rachel mm-hmm. Lindsay was the first black bachelorette. Uh, in 2017 after uh, (laughs) close to 30 seasons wow and the current bachelor right now in 2021 is the first black bachelor they've ever had um chris harrison the host argues that although the photo is not a good look in 2021 it was much more excusable in 2018 like that's his his literal argument is that well this photo is from three years ago, so <laughs> a lot's changed, I'm lot's meek. changed. <laughs> um, and Rachel Lindsay, she pushed back at his idea that an old South party was more acceptable then. And she explained it really patiently and just, oh my goodness, why it was so fucked up. Um, <laughs> and eventually she got down to brass tacks and said, if I went to that party, again, she's a Black woman, what would I represent? Um, white man Chris Harrison ignores her saying you're hundred percent right in 2021. That was not the case in 2018. Oh my God. Yeah. So he like double, triple, quadruple down on it. Um, even after she literally called out the fact, Hey, you know, if I went to this party, I'd be a slave. Right. You get that. Oh. Um, so after this quote unquote appearance on her podcast, uh, Chris Harrison did apologize Uh, Second time, I think he's had to apologize for some (laughs) racist shit recently and announced he would be taking a temporary step back from the show, which is actually shocking, I'm sure, to Bachelor Nation because he's been kind of the face of it for since it started, wow, um, yeah, and he and Rachel Crookenall both said they'd do better in the future. We'll see. Uh, Matt James, who's the current bachelor, said Chris's failure to receive and understand the emotional labor that my friend Rachel Lindsay was taking on by graciously and patiently explaining the racist history of the ante- racist history of the antebellum South, a painful history that every American should understand intimately, was troubling and painful to watch. As Black people and allies immediately knew and understood, it was a clear reflection of a much larger issue the bachelor franchise has fallen short on and addressing adequately for years. I know the bachelor franchise is a reality. This is me. Now I know the bachelor franchise (laughs) is a reality dating show, but it is a relevant part of pop culture and a shit ton of people watch and idolize Chris Harrison. Mm -hmm. Um, And while I do think we need to allow people to apologize and grow. If you're defending racist actions from 2018, yeah from 2018 as just being part of the times oh, after like man. A, a hist like a very well noted history of racism on the show that you're running I'm just I'm a bit confused. There is a <laughs> lot of, Yeah, there's a lot of work to do and frankly you do not deserve the public platform if you cannot speak to that. Um, I do hope that Chris Harrison, Rachel Kirkconnell do better and learn but for how we see you. Oh my god, it was a celebration of the plantations 3 years ago. Mm. We're not. We're not loving that. Uh, no,
0: no, no, no! Cringe, cringe, cringe. <sighs> okay. Well, <laughs> um, we fucking see you to that. Um, My we see yous. The three of them you'll notice are um, a kind of a theme this week. Um, theme being. Moderate Democrats in positions of great power. What? Fucking up. (laughs) What? Um, And I will just lead with actually um, Joe Manchin, the senator from West Virginia, who is a whole We See You vibe. And this week, just, uh, he is just, I can't get him off my brain. He's constantly in my Twitter feed. Um. First for continuing to signal that he is not going to support getting rid of the filibuster, um, which is a huge problem because Democrats can't get past any meaningful like legislation after budget reconciliation without clearing a 60 vote threshold, which would mean that they would have to get 10 Republicans on any legislation that they want to pass, which is wild, but if they had, if we had all the Democrats' support, we could get rid of the filibuster, and we could get on with passing crucial voting rights legislation and a lot of other priorities, um, and set ourselves up for a more put put in place. Democratic, like structured infrastructures, so that people will have better access, easier access to voting across the country. We might even be able to help um, make gerrymandering um, a thing of the past, or at least make it harder yes. for people to gerrymander. Like, there is a whole lot of stuff that needs to happen because our country is getting really twisted by gerrymandering, and the latest census is only probably going to further show that we're probably gonna Republicans are hopeful that they actually will be able to win the house just by redistricting. They won't even have to win any more actual seats they can just redistrict themselves into a majority. And seems house. fair. <laughs> yeah, so that's super frustrating and so it's very um d- it's just very, very hard to see Joe Manchin, a, a moderate Democrat from West Virginia, who uh just I mean, like there's really no reason for this. And and he claims that it's because he wants to protect uh the Senate as Ooh. an institution. Who is he protecting? Yeah, I mean, it's really it's it's unclear. So he's he's against the filibuster, which means that he's against like any meaningful democratic legislation in 2022. I mean, because he says that it's, you know, he's trying to be bipartisan and it's like for for unity, blah, blah, blah. But meanwhile, Mitch McConnell has already told his entire caucus to vote against anything that Joe Biden wants to do and all of his Uh, nominees. Like we don't uh, have we don't have bipartisanship from Mitch McConnell. So, and and he is the definition of not a, a part. Like he just does whatever. He's a partisan hack. He's awful. And so we don't owe him anything. The only thing that we do owe is like um, fealty to our voters, the voters, yes. the Democrats who moved mountains to have a majority in the Senate against all odds and the house. And we got Biden elected with the, with over like 7 million more people voted for Biden. So there the, 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 the way that Republicans think and the Republicans are a minority across the country. They do not have voting power. Um, or they, they don't have, they don't do not yes. have the power. I wish they didn't have voting
1: power. They don't have, It's like, wait, they don't
0: That's, No, what's happened. They don't have the, the power, um, of a majority and they haven't had a ma- haven't represented the majority of Americans um for some time almost 3 decades um there was a uh let's see there was something a report um Steven Wolf I think he writes for mm, it's some it's a liberal institution i might be the like daily coast or uh Mother Goose or something. But he said that they calculated three decades of the Senate, quote, popular vote and how many people each party represented. Um, And the GOP hasn't won more votes or represented more people than Democrats since the 1990s. Um, But they've run the Senate more than half of that time. Um, So they represent less people in more rural states. um, And yet they're able to more and more actually um, remain in the majority. So it's um, yeah. It's just super troubling. So that's one thing that's super that's really frustrating me. Um, and um, he also is saying that he's not supportive of the minimum wage fifteen dollars minimum wage. Um, and he is also just recently said that he's not going to support Neera Tanden for the OMB um, directorship. He also signaled that he might not vote for Deb Halland, Um, and so people are sort of criticizing, like, why are you so opposed to these women of color? You know, in, in when, when, by the way, he supported Kavanaugh, he voted, he was the Democrat who voted for Kavanaugh. He voted for Rick Grinnell and he voted for Jeff Sessions, who was deemed too racist for a federal judgeship, um, in like the eighties. So it's, pretty troubling to me. He also voted for weird. Bill Barr. Yeah, it's just weird how he and you know, he had said that oh a president should have his his cabinet picks generally and hmm. you know, we should respect that. It's like so now the fact that you've decided Neera Tanden specifically, you're not going to support because of her mean tweets <laughs> is like really the height of um, galling, because that also kind of means to me that every brittle and fed up woman who tweeted between 2016 and 2020 will be held to higher standards than the president um, and other member of, members of Congress who have done nothing but be bullying from their... Twitter accounts for the last four years, and then which led to you know the infamous insurrection. So I'm just super frustrated with Joe Manchin. Um, I kind of feel like I have to write it all down in some sort of like just spew it all out onto like a medium post or something because, um, every time that I see his face now, I'm just getting. I think it's something about the fact that we do have the power and we're being held up by a mediocre, quote unquote, moderate white man from West Virginia who's decided he, and he 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 has the power to, to move legislation and he won't. And it's it's all to uphold the status quo. And as Mickey Kendall would, I'm sure, say, like it's 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 upholding like his power. It's upholding white supremacy, although he probably doesn't see it that way. Definitely upholding the patriarchy. It's upholding a whole lot of bad shit and I'm over it. So Joe Manchin, we see you. You
1: have been seen, Joe. joe mansion um so apparently uh some general Zers are speaking out against uh, skinny jeans and side parts of uh, millennials uh millennials got mad and then mocked gen z for eating tide pods and not knowing cursive on tiktok which is like okay shots fired <laughs> my cursive has come in handy literally never once in my life and while well, i agree that eating tide pods is a bad idea I don't think you can really cast the net that Gen Z in 2021 is a group of Tide Pod-eating buffoons. Uh, (laughs) I just, like, do do you fellow millennials remember when the vodka tampons were a thing in our youth? I never partook. I didn't partake. Um, Me neither. God. Although I'm sure if a butterfly had flapped its wings in Chile, I would have maybe one day have done it. Um, my point being that you have one is that all generations have their weird fucking destructive preteen and teen habits. And I'm not hating on Gen Z for the weird type of shit. Um, I will wear skinny jeans because I like the fit on my body, at least at this moment in time. And most of my pants are skinny jeans. I bought another pair after the news broke that they were no longer cool. and They went on sale. Um, I like how I can wear boots with them easily. I also like straight leg pants. I have a pair of linen wide legs that I cherish. Flared Ooh. jeans the, Yeah, flared uh-huh. jeans and the PNW lead to soggy ankles and I have no interest in that. Oh, God. Um, yeah, but there's something wrong with them. I part my hair in the middle because I don't think it looks better with my hair and my face, but I side parted for many years. Yes, middle parts and flared and boot cut jeans were around before now. Um, that Gen Z has rediscovered them, uh, but many of the fashions that we enjoyed in our were not original to our generation either. I'm annoyed at every fucking side of this argument. Mm -hmm. Can we just stop policing what we're wearing? If you want to wear flares, flare it up. If you want to wear skinny jeans, wear fucking skinny jeans. I don't care. No one cares. Part your hair how you want. If you don't know cursive, it's not going to matter. Don't eat Tide Pods. Still don't eat Tide Pods. Um, But I think we all know that now. Uh, (laughs) I, I just, I feel like millennials and boomers, we have enough problems between ourselves. We have enough to deal with that we don't need to get into fights with Gen Z about denim. No. No. And also Gen Z I expected better from you. (laughs) (laughs) I did. Cool. It was a style shaming. I thought they were better than we were. Like trends come and go. Styles change. But if we could all just like respect each other's fashion decisions. Yeah. That'd yeah. be great. It's also a fucking pandemic. <laughs> I know. I know. Not the time to kick anyone for their the choices they make that have literally no impact on anyone else. Yeah. Wear what, wear what you want. Part your hair how you want. Millennials, Gen Z are great. They're the future. Way to go. They're not eating tight pods anymore. Gen yeah. Z. We're let us live too. Okay. We live more than anything else. We want to be accepted by you. I think I I do think that is true. I think that's really true. And so I think we're lashing out saying, well, our genes are cool and our (laughs) side parts are cool, but really we just want to be like appreciated and loved by you, Gen Z. So like, (laughs) I don't know, like take (laughs) take the empathy you, you it seems that you're applying externally and apply it to a sad 30 year olds who are just <laughs> i don't know struggling s- struggling along in our old skinny jeans and our side parts and take pity on us god be, come on you guys be cool. Yeah, be cool. We see you. <laughs> a little bit of a silly we see you, but also just like everyone, shut up. <laughs> yeah,
0: yeah. Um, my second we see you is sort of repetition in the sense that it's basically a similar issue, which is Kirsten Cinema, who's a moderate Democrat from um, Arizona. She also has signaled that she is supportive of not ending the filibuster. Um, it's really. Frustrating. The reason that she gives is she thinks that um, the uh, she supports a 60 vote threshold for all Senate actions um, because we should put politics aside. Uh, to fully consider debate and reach compromise on legislative issues that will affect all Americans. It's just like, that sounds like a really nice thing. And I wish that that were a reality. It's just that it isn't, it's not the world that we live in. And we haven't lived in that world for at least 10 years, like Mitch McConnell, if ever, but like Mitch McConnell made sure of that. Um, the die has been cast. We are like way, way past, um, being able to have a sixty-vote threshold on anything, um, and that is not necessarily the—that's not the fault of Democrats. It is the fault of Republicans, specifically Mitch McConnell. My fucking god! Um, mm-hmm. But it's very frustrating, especially and disappointing from Kristen Sinema of of Arizona, where her her state has is is leading the country in the in prohibitive um, voter suppression bills uh, that they want to pass before twenty twenty two, which will ultimately kick her out of office soon. Like if she, if they gerrymander those districts, if, if it's more gerrymandered and if they're able to kind of continue to suppress votes in Arizona, that's her job out the window. So maybe be a little less concerned about the congeniality of the Senate because that is like, does, it's a fallacy. And I I don't want it to be. I take no pleasure in this. I like the idea in theory. I like the idea that for the Senate to be the cooling like the cooling pot. Um, and like the, Ooh, the more, um, deliberative world's most deliberative body, like Mm -hmm. world's least deliberative body. You guys don't fucking pass anything. It's been the least constructive few years with Mitch McConnell in charge. And If the Democrats what's really going to be pathetic and will deserve the losses if we get them is if Democrats have the power to pass these these monumental legislation, which we do, we just have to get rid of the filibuster because that's the reality. Um, And we don't get rid of this so that, you know, in, in the interest of like a robust debate and moderate moderation with Republicans. Like we deserve to lose because you're not representing the voters. Voters are not going to turn out for you. Um, Super frustrating. It's a super privileged position of her to say, to kind of take that stance. And I don't know who she's trying to impress. So um, because we don't see this reciprocity from Republicans. So um, I'm nauseated. I hate it. Um, And kirsten cinema super disappointing um not sure what you're what you're like like truly i don't know what you're trying to get out of the situation are you trying to get something for arizona out of biden or i don't know but you and mansion are a real thorn in my side um we see you yeah.
1: we see you you're gross. Yeah. All right. So I read about this really great college program for marginalized teens um, started by a nonprofit called the National Education Equity Lab, where teens take classes from colleges like Harvard and Yale while they're in high school. Um, and 86% of students enrolled so far have passed these classes, um, which started, this program started in fall of 2019. Uh, And 92% of the students in the program are students of color, which is all important context for the dumbass comment a fellow white woman left on the article that NPR had posted about this program Ugh. she said these are some very strange course selections it would be more interesting to see how these kids fare taking elite math science stem classes english comp 101 econ accounting etc the oppression of the environment or whatever is not a good indication of potential college success Um, And then she went on to call out the fact that the program does not have a 100% success rate.
0: Um,
1: Her argument is racist bullshit. um, And I will get into how I feel about her. Uh, One of the courses referenced in the article that she was um, very upset about is literally introduction to engineering, <laughs> which, is, which is as <laughs> stem as it fucking gets, in my opinion. Also, I have a bachelor's in science, and I never took an engineering class in my life. Um, <laughs> like, do you think these teens should be diving right into advanced engineering? Would that impress you more, The poetry class that they took, the Harvard poetry class they took entitled Poetry in America, the City from Whitman to Hip Hop, is the same exact fucking class they teach at Harvard for admitted students. But the Harvard class isn't Harvard enough for you. It doesn't tell you enough about how good they do at college, taking a literal college course. Um, is it because the word hip hop is in the course name and you have some bias, perhaps, Uh mm. Was it the inclusion of a psychology course in the curriculum? no because i looked at her facebook profile and she fucking majored in psychology (laughs) so that couldn't that could not have been the pro the the problem and then the thing that she like offhandedly referred referred to as the oppression of the environment or whatever (laughs) is the course entitled environmental studies and justice um and I don't know why that's not an indicator of potential college success to her. Um, it's a credited course offered out of college. I think it might be because the word justice is in there and she's uncomfortable with that. Threatening. Um, very threatening. <laughs> the thing is environmental justice is a field that's been around for like 50 years. Mm. Um, so again, also... <laughs> I mean, as valid as it gets, girl. Um, I don't know. I mean, I do know, but I don't know why she's looking for problems with this program that's empowering marginalized youth, particularly youth of color. Yes, not every single person enrolled completed the course, but I think over 80% is pretty fucking impressive for high school kids taking courses from Harvard. Yeah. Yeah. like what does she want they're not uh, the Harvard classes aren't Harvard enough for her I can't deal with her um, yeah. It seems like she really wants. Uh, what she really wants is for students of color to fail, because I think due to maybe some white fragility, she's uncomfortable with the idea of of their success, and so she decides that courses like Introduction to Engineering aren't STEM classes, courses about psychology, like she majored in, aren't real college classes, a poetry class that involves hip hop cannot possibly be a legitimate college course, even though it's a literal harvard course yeah um, and hip-hop is poetry um just just a well chef's kiss example of a white woman commenting on thing yeah really just i think upset that <laughs> um that her white children um will have to compete to get into a college ha. Huh. Yeah. Ah. Also, she's one of these motherfuckers. I looked at her profile uh, because I had to see where she went to college and what she studied. Yeah. Because she's wading into this debate for no reason. For no... Like, everyone's comment. Like, some people are commenting, like, this is a great idea, whatever. And then her just being like, I don't know. Are these (laughs) elite classes? (sighs) Just like, girl. But she has, like, six blonde children. I'm a blonde woman. I'm not... Whatever. She's got this just, like, horde of a blonde family. And she is clearly she's on one. Um, So we see you to her. Um, These are all valid courses and that they're literally the exact same courses as in the Ivy league schools. She's just uncomfortable because black children are doing well in these courses and it disrupts her whole view.
0: God, uh, that's, it's so depressing to me, just like the people who have the time to comment that. I mean, it's bad enough to have that feeling internally. And then mm-hmm. to just like weigh in and be like, I have thoughts, yeah. so I'm gonna air them and they're, yeah. I'm gonna air this
1: ignorant, dumb shit on Facebook. Like, yeah, it must not be hard enough. Well, maybe yeah. your kids couldn't do it, but like these kids did. So, like, call them your shit. Yeah. Put it together. These are all valid. It's like literally runs the gamut of course types. And then the article only referenced some of the courses they're taking. It was just, it was very upsetting.
0: <laughs> this is the hill you're gonna die on. Really ask yourself. why why (laughs) Why? um yeah well i will close out my uh trifecta of moderate democrat irritation with uh the the big man himself uh joe biden
1: the big man the big
0: man (laughs) the big executive um so he recently (laughs) i get it he's only been in office like a month, so we need to sort of moderate expectations. And moderate. I, and I am, but I think it's totally fair to call him out, um, for his really dumb, like kind of unforced error. Although he probably doesn't see it as an error of a comment last week when he did a CNN town hall and was asked by a student or was asked by um, a woman who said, we need to, we need student loan forgiveness beyond the potential 10,000. Your administration has proposed. We need at least 50,000 minimum. What will you do to make that happen? And Biden said I will not make that happen it depends on whether or not you go to a private university or a public university it depends on the idea that I say to a community quote I'm going to forgive the debt the billions of dollars in debt for the people who have gone to Harvard and Yale and Penn and schools my ch- and schools my children I went to a great school I went to a state school but is that going to be forgiven rather than to use the money to provide for early childhood education uh, for young children who are who come from diff- disadvantaged circumstances Okay, so that was his response. It was sort of rambly and lame. and um, he basically said that like it, it does a lot of things that I don't like, which is one he's being categorical about the um, the debt and uh, he is saying that like he I mean he, he's rarely ever this this sure about anything, but he says like, I will not, I will not make that happen when it comes to fifty thousand dollars of debt. Um, now we know that he's open to forgiving some debt. He's going to wait and see what his attorney general, you know, recommends, and whether or not he, he quote unquote, can, uh, like, ha, ha, whether his administration has the ability to forgive this debt um, or forgive a certain amount of student debt. Um, so it seems like he's kind of biding his time, hoping the issue Biden will go away. Time. He's biding his time, um, but the answer itself. Was was pretty disconcerting, not only because he was so um, sure when he said, like, I will not make that happen in terms of student loan forgiveness, especially when Democrats, both Elizabeth Warren and Chuck Schumer, who's the majority leader, they are pressing him on this. They're like, we want you to forgive, um, you know, a student loan debt. You can do it with the stroke of a pen. Why haven't you done it yet? Um, so he's really getting pushed on that. And he's getting pushed from other um, Congress members and from the public. Um like he could at least cancel the 10,000. Um, and that would really like, that would instantly help so many people. So it's super frustrating, but I also don't like that he is sort of, first of all, I mean, AOC put it really well. She basically commented on this. And she said, like, she said um, that a lot of people in terms of student loan forgiveness, like, or people like it's, if you're going to Harvard or Penn or Yale or wherever, and you know, rich rich people already their parents are paying for it. They're getting, they're getting forgiveness. They're getting, um, you know, debt assistance from their parents who are, who are helping. Um, it's not really about that. And it's really frustrating that he would sort of pit this as an either, or in terms of like, we're helping or people, we're helping programs with early childhood education, or we're helping with student loan forgiveness. Um, he, uh, it's just like, that's not the conversation. And that is not, it, it's not an either or situation. So I don't really appreciate that he kind of did that. Um, also, it's been brought up that because he's from, he's from Delaware and there's a lot of like, uh, you know, it's, it's a, it's a state where if you set up your business there, there's a lot of like tax forgiveness and um, a lot of credit card companies are set up there. And he's, he's been historically pretty soft on, um financial like different financial institutions and he's caused a lot of the or he he's been certainly he hey he's been a part of the senate for a very fucking long time like our entire lives times three or something uh, times two but you know what i mean he's Uh, been around forever 90 (laughs) (laughs) i mean god when he talks at this point it's like i don't feel great about it i'm like oh god joe um it's just just keep just keep doing Things. Um, but yeah, so it's just, it's a very frustrating um situation with student loan debt he has certainly contributed to um the deregulation uh that has led to a lot of uh americans being in the situation where there's a lot where they had to take on a lot of debt um forgiving debt like this on a grand scale would immediately help close the um wage gap between uh people of color and and you know everyone else um and it's the right thing to do. Um, it's, you know, I, I, I still have hope that he's going to, he'll do something, but just the certainty with which he was just like, I will not make that happen. And then his rambling answer, which seemed to just show absolutely no mastery of the the issue at hand or the ways in which like it would positively impact so many people. And he could fucking do it today if he wanted to. um, I find pretty disconcerting and not great in terms of like wanting change. It's kind of what we, like we knew, we knew when we got Biden, we'd have like this just like, we have to have these conversations and he'd have to be pushed. So this is, consider this me pushing him.
1: We see you. <laughs> He's been pushed. <laughs> yes. And you you found a little good thing on the internet. You found some pretty rocks. I found some, yes. I was
0: like, what did I even send you earlier? Yeah. So um, I just think it's been really cool to see the different uh, photos that have been coming out um, that NASA has released from Jupiter because they basically look like I mean, some of them look like just paintings, but they're also diverse in the way that, um, like, it just, they all kind of look like different planets. But anyway, if you want to see them, um, the ones that I'm specifically referencing, Kara Swisher tweeted out today more stunning and awe inspiring photos from Jupiter. Um, so it's just nice to look to the stars, look to the, uh, you know, the, the planets and, and see that it feels like when we're really stalled here, there's actually progress happening um, with trying to better understand and better capture um, space. (laughs) Uh, So that's pretty cool. I mean, there was also the Mars landing, which was cool. So there's kind of, that's that, that has been sort of nice as a little bit of an escapism, but Hey, it's like, I mean it's real, so that's yeah.
1: not nice. <laughs> total science. fantasy. It science. Is- <laughs> Jupiter's got pretty rocks, y'all. So <laughs> Yeah. Or like I suppose more accurately, pretty gaseous clouds. <laughs> um every time i shoot now i'm going to say i have a beautiful gaseous cloud i knew that was where we were going (laughs) oh are you sure that the clouds weren't on uranus (laughs) oh Oh, we have fun don't we well thanks thanks, y'all for listening to our eight hour podcast (laughs) (laughs) we're like we're gonna keep it under an hour yeah you you thought
0: this was gonna go long and i thought it wasn't, and you were right.
1: It you were fe- right. Uh, being right all the time is a <laughs> burden, certainly, um, but one I carry with grace. Um, oh, you do, you do. But it was, I, I don't know, it was a good convo. It was an important book to discuss. And again, any human being who is, says they're a feminist or even who doesn't, um, hood feminism is, I think, the best introductory intersectional feminist book you can get your paws on and it's an easy read in terms of being understandable for anybody Um, it's not an easy read in terms of you know processing and and dealing with but I think it's an important one Uh, totally agree so yeah we love you all and hope you have uh, blessed weeks and uh, let us know if you see any cool gashish situations (laughs) yeah let us know